Welcome to MuggleCast, your Harry Potter podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Just the three of us this week. We're going to dive into Chapter 5 of Half-Blood Prince, An Excess of Phlegm. One of the grossest chapter titles, I think, <laughs> in the <this> series. <laughs> and we got some news. We got a pretty straightforward episode for everybody this week. Yeah. So let's just dive right into it. Last week was Back to Hogwarts Excitement on that's on September 1st. And I guess we forgot to bring this up, but we wanted to include it. It seems like one of the big elements of last week's Back to Hogwarts campaign was that we actually are going back to Hogwarts in Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. So this featurette was released. And let's watch it because J.K. Rowling appears in it and says a few things. Okay. Yeah. I loved going back to Hogwarts. Of course I did. It looks very familiar to anyone who saw the Potter movies, but obviously the teaching staff are different. Those names, the stories, the histories that sit in the back of our mind from the Potter series begin to weave their way into beasts. I have some questions for you, Dumbledore. To actually be shooting here at Laycock, where three of the films were shot, it's quite amazing, really. When I walked on and saw all the trunks and Hogwarts stickers and things like that, it's pretty amazing. It's like the ultimate childhood fantasy to play witches and wizards. But it was slightly odd out-of-body experience because I've watched with everyone else those classes and suddenly to be in it. You're in there doing it, but then you look back as yourself and realise how special it was. Go ahead, Newt. Ridiculous. I felt quite sentimental going back to Hogwarts. So J.K. Rowling's in that, Zoe Kravitz is in that, Eddie Redmayne, Jude Law, and some set guy. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. And I, I think the most interesting part of that clip was actually two things. A, J.K. Rowling mentioning that we are going back to Hogwarts, but it's a whole different teaching staff. Mm. So I'm curious if we're going to learn about other teachers other than Dumbledore. And just seeing the the footage of the students running around Hogwarts is pretty cool. Yeah, what are they running to or from or what's going on there? (laughs) I was wondering that as well. What's with all the running? At the 38 second mark, by the way, it's Christian Menz, who's the visual effects supervisor, is your set guy oh thank you uh, yeah yeah but uh these <laughs> these um the children are like they're rounding a corner it's kind of it's crazy you always know knew that like parts of hogwarts were filmed in like multiple different castles across the country but like this area where like they do like the courtyard i guess it is like looks nothing like hogwarts necessarily but they're using just this one corner of it that's like these children are turning and running and it's 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 extremely cool like to see kind of it all broken apart like this. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's possibly the moment where the ministry shows up at Hogwarts. You know, the kids may be running to get a glimpse at the minister and if anybody else is there. Mm. I love I love your idea of like they're running, but it's for a good reason, not like Popo, Popo, everybody run. We know that they're headed there at least to interrogate Dumbledore on some level about Newt. So mm-hmm. I wonder, but that would be two different time frames almost, right? 
I mean, where, oh, that's true. Are they running in the time frame where Newt is at school, or are they running at the time frame in present day where the ministry is interrogating Dumbledore? Well, here's a takeaway: the children rounding the corner are Hufflepuff and Slytherin, which are the two classes uh, in in the Defense Against the Dark, uh, yeah, Dark Arts room with the bogart scene also though if you look at this dumbledore scene and you see all the kids lined up there are some really young kids here like they're mixing first years with like fourth or fifth years there's a solid one foot or two feet in height between some of these students height that difference. is pretty noticeable yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> it was a different time andrew <laughs> yeah i guess maybe they were accepting even younger kids at hogwarts back in the day <laughs> could that be what this reveals because these kids don't look older than like eight <laughs> you're actually you're exactly like compared to dumbledore in the middle here when he's like walking down the line of these students there are very young kids yeah yeah, yeah so that's kind of interesting but hmm. so yeah it's cute it, i really jude law really does look fantastic as dumbledore he just he seems happy he's a happy professor do we ever see professors that that are happy? Like McGonagall was always kind of, man, I'm a teacher. I'm strict. Man, Umbridge <laughs> obviously sucked. Snape sucked. Um, any happy teachers at Hogwarts? Sprout, I guess, kind of. Uh, well, they got rid of Peeves. Well, he's not a teacher. Dumbledore, Dumbledore just he gives off a happy vibe in these scenes. Maybe Sprout, yeah. Flitwick sometimes. Flitwick. Yeah, Hagrid's always happy to teach care of magical creatures. He just doesn't do a very good job. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's something that that Jude Law's giving off that I'm just like, damn, and not in a Dumbledore way. Just like a damn, he's friendly. Just damn. Yeah, I, I agree. Anyway, do you think though we'll get a trailer before the Uh-oh. movie is out, or are we pretty much set there? No, I think we. I think we're due one more trailer, probably next month. Mm, yeah the movie is only two months away gosh saying that out loud it's crazy yeah yeah i think one more hmm. let the trailer speculation begin here we (laughs) go again (laughs) but speaking of back to hogwarts i just want to jump ahead to this story as far as we knew up until a couple days ago harry potter and the sorcerer's stone was published in america on september 1st that's what all of the internet including pottermore has said But then weirdly, on Wednesday, September 5th, J.K. Rowling, Scholastic, Pottermore, all were celebrating Sorcerer's Stone being published on that day, September 5th. So it was a little weird, and when I started looking into it, it doesn't seem like there's one clear answer as to when it was actually published. There was no specific day where it was like, okay, on sale in America. Mm. Um, the J.K. Rowling bibliog- bibliography actually says it was October. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of uh, different opinions on when the book was published. And I just found that interesting. It se- To me, it seems like they picked September 5th because they didn't want it to overlap with all the September 1st back to Hogwarts excitement, <laughs> which I actually found kind of interesting that they didn't want the two to uh, butt heads. So they're just kind of spacing out the advertisement week, the the, the news right. week with like rewriting history, claiming that this book twenty years ago nobody remembers the exact day yeah. was on the fifth instead of the first. Yeah, they just like made up a, a new date, <laughs> <laughs> and then they had the uh, Scholastic rang the stock market bell, 
in New York <laughs> on September 5th to celebrate. And there's a big sign in Times Square. It was a whole thing that they did on September 5th. Somebody has to know the real date, though, because I just feel like maybe since it wasn't that big of a deal when it was published here the first time, right? It was still not yeah. as widely known yeah. as yeah. it has obviously grown to be today. Right. It, it you was would just... think there's some documentation on on when it was allowed to hit bookstore shelves. Right. It's It's got to be there somewhere. They know. They're <laughs> just not telling us. It's a conspiracy. Right. No, it's, yeah. it's a consumer ploy. Yeah. It is. I'm just it joking. Is. I don't really know what the real reason is. No, well, it kind of is because they didn't want it to be on the date that the entire internet says it was because they didn't want to want it to interfere with the crimes of Grindelwald back to Hogwarts. I mean, the internet was promotion. more or less the, some of those websites probably have the same web page from 1999, like the year after the book was like a couple months after the book was published. So I see no reason to believe that the websites and all of the internet, as you said, were wrong. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. It's weird. Anyway. Just kind of an interesting thing I noticed. And I know some other people have noticed that as well. So when I say J.K. Rowling official website back in the day, what do you guys, that what, what springs to mind? The glory days of her flash-heavy website. <laughs> flash-heavy, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the, the Do Not Disturb door? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, for me, it's the, the cell phone that's like sitting on the... On the oh, desk, yeah. and you, you type in the numbers to get to the Ministry of Magic, and then you win, like, a certificate thing. The reason I ask is, it's back. <gasps> J.K. Rowling's website is back. But maybe not in the way we'd expect. So jkrowling.com has changed over the years. The Flash site by Lightmaker is long gone. <laughs> but for years from, like, 2004, I think it was, to 2010, that website was the number one source for info to coming directly from Joe before Pottermore and before even the good Pottermore, like the Flash Pottermore. I, I guess maybe I'm a fan of Flash. The Rolling Library and the people at the Rolling Library, which is the rollinglibrary.com, have painstakingly reconstructed, this is news, J.K. Rowling's old site and brought it back to life. And the way that they've done it is they've included pretty much the entire history of like all of the the posts. So when you go to JK Rowling's site, you'd find like whatever was currently up there um was like, you know, the news and it would go away after a while like the FAQs. I think some of the older FAQs went away. This is all of them and they brought it back yeah. and they got it to work somehow. Bless coding people for yeah. for getting it to work. <laughs> and it works and you can find it over there, they made a big yeah. deal about it. But for September 1st, this was their back to Hogwarts was let's go back to the days of waiting for that door to open and chasing the animated fly around J.K. Rowling's desk. Can you remember the fly? Because I forgot yeah. about the fly. And then within two seconds of getting on the website, I was like, oh, my God, that fly. <laughs> I just had to pull a key out of the fly to get into the door for one because i just jumped back in time (laughs) but yeah this is really cool i mean we all loved this website because like the harry potter series it was very whimsical there were hidden secrets within this flash site and it was the design of it is reportedly i remember jk rowling saying it was inspired by her own desk um you click on the eraser that's how you get to the 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 door which revealed that a couple of book titles Mm -hmm. and several other important moments in the harry potter series but yeah it's cool i'm playing with it right now it's it's definitely cool 
cool thing. I, I, I wonder, too, how they brought this back. It's pretty impressive. I think, you know, it was a combination. The, the article that's linked to in our, in our doc, the first part, talks about how they used um, screen grabs and, like, the people in the, in the, in the year or in, in, on the day could, like, somehow save the files that were being used. I'm assuming that, you know, if your computer plays it, it's secretly saving it somewhere. So, like... Mm people extracted the files that way like during the website days and then the rolling library had to compile for like all the languages and stuff they had to like get people from france who had grabbed the website to like get some of the french stuff i don't really cool cool like, long process yeah yeah worth noting that jk rowling's current website is actually inspired by that original website it's still it's it's now an overview of her desk oh that's yeah. cool yeah mm. and uh it's even got an old ipod on there just like just like the the classic website and it's got a piece of crumpled up paper that you can click on to get to the rumors page <laughs> okay that's kind of cool i mean she did it right yeah. it's just so it's so personal like this is the website when she launched it she said like call me joe you know like it just kind of really yeah intimate insight into her brain and being able to listen to like the wind blowing and a doorbell ringing and a dog barking again is all very, very special and nostalgic. <laughs> By the way, she did update her FAQ page on her new website mm. a couple of days ago, but she didn't really say anything interesting. Oh. So we're not talking about it. That's this all week. reserved for Twitter, I guess. Although I guess if you're if you're into writing, you might want to check out her new post because she talks about her writing process and stuff. So. Okay. Yeah, we'll see if her website lasts. I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be surprised if J.K. Rowling's people was like, "Hey, Rowling Library, uh, can you take that down, please?" Yeah, I guess in that case, we'll just issue like a "Everybody go play on it right now" kind of right. thing. Hurry up, enjoy it yeah. while it lasts. I mean, you could take the wombats again, and I failed those miserably the first time. So mm. maybe I've gotten better. All right. Before we get to chapter by chapter, it's time to hear from one of our sponsors. Yeah, and how appropriate that uh, we are talking about socks, and this is an episode I'm sure that will uh, feature Dumbledore prominently. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today's episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They have totally re-engineered socks with comfort innovations that add up to one way more comfortable pair of socks. They have an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most and feels like a hug around your foot, a cushioned footbed for reinforced for comfort with added bulkiness, stay up technology because let's face it, whose socks want to fall down when you're walking? I've had that problem before. A seamless toe and then super soft cotton that you'll never want to take off. The bottom line is they feel like magic. And whatever you love to do, there's a pair of Bombas that'll add comfort to your life as you do it. So I actually got several pairs of Bombas for work and I can tell you they're nice, they're soft, they're comfortable. I get compliments from coworkers. So no matter what it is that you're looking to get Bombas for, you could be a runner, you could be a power walker, you could be a power lounger, you could be a low-key fashionista. The bottom line is there is a sock pair out there for you andrew i know you got these as well how do you feel about yeah 
Well, I always bought kind of the cheapest socks. So when I finally received these, I was like, wow, I've been missing out on comfort for my feet. Like, really, they they are so cozy that I'm wondering what I've been doing all these years buying the cheap socks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what strikes me about them is that you should really treat yourself to them because you will actually feel better wearing them. You just feel cozy. And not only will you feel good on your feet, but you'll feel good in your heart and your soul because one of the great parts about Bombas is that one pair sold equals one pair donated. So they actually have this really cool feature where they will donate one pair of socks to a homeless shelter for every pair that they sell. That's awesome. So MuggleCast listeners can get 20% off their first order. All they have to do is head over to bombas.com slash MuggleCast. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com. You get 20% off your first order. Just use code MuggleCast. Excellent. Okay, so it's time to get into chapter by chapter. This week we're discussing Half-Blood Prince chapter 5. Like we did a couple of weeks ago, we're going to do this group summary again where we each contribute a word to the seven-word synopsis for this chapter. So we're going to go in a different order this week. We have the list here. Go ahead, Micah. You kick it off. Fleur. Was. Entering. (laughs) Harry's. Room. And. (laughs) Existed. (laughs) What? (laughs) So that was a failed attempt. Let's actually redo it and pretend that the first time never happened. That's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. Floor was entering Harry's room and existed. Okay, all right. You know what? I guess that's a little bit more of a that's more of a neutral take than the book. So I like it. Yeah, yeah. I I would have said like intervened or interrupted, maybe interrupted. I would have ended. Yeah. I would have ended with breakfast because she really does that. <laughs> well, Harry's whole, room. I mean, we'll oh. get into this, but her whole existence seems to bother pretty much everybody except Harry and Ron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wonder why. Oh, oh, that's unfair. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> so, um, so I'll start off with this chapter. Um, upon Harry's arrival at the borough, Dumbledore says something interesting that they arrived sooner than expected because Slughorn was easier to persuade than he thought. Because Molly was like, "Oh, I thought you were going to come in the next morning," and Dumbledore said, "No, no, it took less time." I was, I'm wondering what else did Dumbledore have up his sleeve with Slughorn because he was walking out of Slughorn's house, banking yeah. on Slughorn doing the classic, wait, <laughs> what would he have done after that? What would Dumbledore have done if Dumble, if Slughorn didn't go, wait, would he turn around and go back and be like, are you sure? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe it would have set Harry down. Uh, and said, hey, wait here, and then gone back and, like, you know, threatened Slughorn with the wrath of all of his magic. Oh, there you go. Or been like, look, I brought Harry because he loves you so much, and he's oh. he's out there crying right now because you're not coming back. <laughs> Can you please come back for Harry? He's had a rough life. Even though you've never met him. <laughs> Help an orphan in need, Slughorn. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. Just it just seems like that didn't really add up to me. That that wasn't 
That didn't make sense to me. Yeah, Dumbledore kind of mis misestimated Tamale when they would be back. Maybe maybe he just really likes messing with people's plans. <laughs> like he's yeah. gonna bring Harry the night before. He doesn't, you know, he's like, eh, probably won't take all night, but just in case we'll say the morning. Yeah. Um maybe maybe he also didn't want to worry Molly in case it did last till morning. Mm. He's Dumbledore. He'd do what he wants. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But Dumbledore also mentions uh, that, quote, we were lucky in regards to Slughorn. <laughs> and that plays in the to the Felix Felicis theory, right? Yeah. Miss Curry, who wrote in a couple episodes ago, um, you know, said, hey, this this line is suspicious. Can we apply it back to the earlier chapters and suggest that um, Dumbledore was taking some Felix? And I still, you know, three episodes later, I still like this theory. I still kind of think maybe that you know just Dumbledore disappearing in the last chapter just randomly oh I'm gonna use the bathroom kind of leaving Harry and Slughorn to it and and Harry has the natural ability to charm Slughorn and Slughorn you know easily goes along with this whole coming back to Hogwarts thing I think was very lucky indeed so Dumbledore if not directly referencing uh the idea that he you know the fact that he just took some 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 Felix um is certainly correct in suggesting that you know they it was it's been fortunate uh for them they also got that task finished with sooner than expected because they happened to know exactly where slughorn was living at the time somehow Dumbledore could have spent days searching for him but instead basically went exactly the right way <laughs> thanks felix <laughs> thanks felix yeah so i i like that theory i think i'm gonna say it's confirmed what do you guys think <laughs> i wouldn't go that far but <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm willing to entertain it yeah yeah i'm not totally sold on the felix felicis theory just okay. yet i don't think somebody as powerful as dumbledore would need luck all right everyone mm. why not just take the help you can get well so what else happens? So we also learn that Dumbledore has to leave. He can't stay and chat with Molly, Tonks, and Harry to go attend business with the Minister for Magic. And so I'm curious, just given what we learn in the first couple of chapters uh, about the relationship that exists between Dumbledore and Scrimgeour, what could this possibly be? What could they have to talk about? Yeah. I don't know, but it would probably be an awkward meeting, whatever it would be. It's just a tense meeting. Um, I'm guessing it's more of the same of what we know, or we're being sort of something's going on that we're being hidden. But I think Dumbledore has already once intervened to prevent the minister from contacting Harry. Yeah. Maybe a progress meeting, just like, hey, here's what's been going on. Here's what we've heard. Here's where the giants are. Here's what we've got ready at Hogwarts. That's true. I mean, there is there is an actual um, reason for the headmaster of Hogwarts to communicate with the government, and that is, like you just alluded to, you know, protections around Hogwarts, kind of in assuring him that the, the country's students will be safe um, and kind of, let, you know, going through some of the protections mm -hmm. for sure. And then... Then again, maybe it's also Dumbledore fulfilling his role as like member of the Wizengamo. Like, we don't know what he does for that. Maybe he's just, maybe yeah. he has a court date, an appearance. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And mentioned that Tonks was there as well when Harry arrives. 
but she is visibly upset and seemingly not herself. Yeah. Yeah. We're not entirely sure what's going on here. We get a bit of an explanation later on in the chapter, but Eric, you were saying earlier that that's complete misdirection. Well, yeah, this chapter begins the sort of book-long mystery of what exactly is going on with Tonks. Um, we love to, like, the idea of Tonks, to see her as this excitable, you know, spunky individual with bright pink hair, but that's not the case. She's described as just looking down. Her appearance is less colorful than usual without her customary shade of bubblegum pink, and she's got like this mousy brown, I don't know, kind of thing going on with her hair and leaves immediately upon their arrival. She's just like, thanks for the tea, Molly. Got to go. And Dumbledore says, you know, don't let my presence, um, you know, cause you to leave. And she's like, nope, nope, heading out. And Molly's trying to get her to come to like dinner the next night. And she's like, no, and just leaves. And we don't we don't know why. And then later in the chapter, like you said, Hermione and, and Ron kind of have something to say about it, but it's, it ends up being wrong. We have the benefit of, uh, you know, knowing what the real reason is that she is so down. And I just don't know. It's kind of, it's sad to see the ones we love be sad. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's an important thing to include in this series. Like everybody is kind of as uppity as they can be during this dramatic time, but they they also need to be confused and saddened people <laughs> because of what's going on. I agree with you. Um, grief over loss is real. And that's, I think, even Harry maybe has an inkling that it's like, you know, his his suspicions are confirmed that she's upset over Sirius' death. But when it turns out not to be that, then I get confused because it's like his response to them later in the chapter is, but she barely knew him. Um, or Ron says that or something. And Harry's like, yeah, I, I know that. Um, but trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here. The whole thing that it's just, she's in love with Lupin and Lupin is having a difficult time accepting it is not cause necessarily to like, stop being yourself. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to judge somebody else on their, on their love is tough, Eric. It's just, love is she, tough. she goes through the whole book believing like we, She's she's in such grief that we totally, you know, think it really is the death of her cousin uh, who she barely knew. And it turns out it's, I don't know, just this other thing. I've never known what to feel about well, Tonks in this book. So rereading these chapters will hopefully give a fresh perspective. And with the feedback of our listeners of, you know, is this a, a, a positive sort of character choice for, for Tonks to have her be kind of the vessel of this information that um, love can affect magic. Yeah. I mean, look, they, they were in a situation where it was, Tonks was in a situation where it was unrequited love, which can be one of the worst kinds of love when you yeah. love somebody else, but they don't love you. It sucks, but, and Tonks is going through that right now, plus all the drama going on with Sirius losing Sirius and this wizarding war. It's just a whole mess for her. There's nothing yeah. really good in her life at the moment. Love me, Lupin. Yeah, and it's it's clear that it's it's a bunch of different things that are affecting her so much that she would be at the borough at midnight, 1 a.m., talking with Molly. I mean, it, it's pretty late. <laughs> Molly. 
Yeah. Uh, it's Beauty and the Beast all over again. <laughs> One interesting piece of information that we get once Harry is inside and sitting down and Molly is making him food. Slughorn taught both Arthur and Molly and started around the same time at Hogwarts as Dumbledore. So this leads to the question, shifting gears a little bit, talking about crimes of Grindelwald, can we expect to see Slughorn at Hogwarts? We know that he was there during the time of Tom Riddle, which isn't that far away. And if Mm. he started around the same time as Dumbledore, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't have been there at the same time as Newt. That would be cool. If J.K. Rowling has all this type of timeline information written down in like an encyclopedia that she refuses to release, (laughs) maybe she, hopefully she's looking at that kind of information and being like, okay, I do need to at least put him in for a quick cameo. On the other hand, I feel like we would have heard about it by now. But maybe they're keeping it a surprise. I mean, they kept the Johnny Depp Grindelwald thing a secret for a long time. Yeah, for sure. I would guess that it's just a shout out. You know, if if, if Dumbledore is having um, the Slytherins in his class, maybe there's a throwaway line about, oh, you know, talk to your head of house, Professor Slughorn, about this um, kind of thing, like a a throwaway name shout out. Mm. Only because the movie is so crowded already. Yeah. that I'm just like, they couldn't possibly fit another recognizable character in this. Yeah. Well, maybe in movie seven. I'm th- I think you mean five? N- no, seven. I'm convinced I- they're going to add more movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's important to remember that Slughorn should be present in the timeline that we are uh, with in the films. So that's mm-hmm. a super cool kind of timely reference for this chapter to produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you have a bunch of reference points here that he served as postmasters according to the HP lexicon until 1981. And of course, we know that he was there when Tom Riddle was in school in the 40s because he is the one who lets Tom get a little bit more insight into what exactly Horcruxes are and, and what they do. Uh, so yeah. I'm eager for a Slughorn cameo. Maybe not Jim Broadbent. Maybe, <laughs> it, yeah. Maybe if we get no. to the uh, the forties, they could pull it off. They did those flashback scenes. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, they're recasting everybody else, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was nice to get in this little bit of research to get a, a refresher course on how old Molly and Arthur are versus Lily and James. Um. Presumably both Arthur and Molly, according to HP Lexicon, were born in 1950. Um, and then Harry's parents were both born in 1960. So Ron's mom and dad are 10 years older than Harry's mom and dad would be. Um, and that's the difference of, you know, Hogwarts, what what teachers are there, that kind of um, flips around like that. So so just, uh, just as a matter of perspective, um, as far as the aging goes... Uh, and then Snape would also be 10 years younger than Molly and Arthur. Mm-hmm. You asked and we listened. <laughs> Colin Farrell is back <laughs> as Professor Slughorn. I don't know that I would cast that. <laughs> it's, I would watch it. <laughs> it's Colin Farrell. No. But, 
but but Google has relate people also search for it, and Colin Firth is here, and I'm thinking, oh, he could be a good Slughorn. Yeah, Colin Firth. Yeah, I don't disagree. Got to bald him up a bit, but other than that, he'd be good to go. <laughs> One of the the big underlying themes throughout this chapter, because all in all, not a whole lot happens in this chapter, and I know I was texting with both of you before we recorded during the week and i said yeah you know what like not too much happens in this chapter it's a little boring we don't have the same level of excitement that we get in the previous chapters there's a lot happening there's introductions of new characters but here security really seems to be at the forefront right where we have heard in in the last few chapters about the importance of security and all these measures that the ministry are encouraging the wizarding community to take. But now we actually see them put more into practice and we see the interaction between Molly and Dumbledore. And then of course, Molly and Arthur and the clock, which we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Arthur's new job has a, you know, much more of a secure feel to it. Not from like a, employment standpoint but from his actual role and what he's doing so yeah now we're starting to get a little bit more of a sense of just how dangerous things could potentially be yeah right it's such a big change from the earlier books and it's kind of made light of in in this chapter because molly which is actually kind of surprising she's hesitant to go along with these security measures like ask me our security question which is actually kind of surprising because molly is obviously a mother and you would think she would want to be looking out for the family at all times whether or not voldemort is back and yet she's not really interested in following along with the question game is it just to make light of the situation it's a good question. Considering the clock hands put all of her children at mortal peril, <laughs> you would think she would observe right. the, the passwords and the securities a little bit more willingly. Yeah. And that clock, it obviously has gone on in fandom to become one of the most popular objects, I think. I, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a story about somebody built a, a real Weasley f- family clock and everybody was like freaking out about it. But um, in this chapter... Molly says she doesn't know why exactly it puts everybody in the mortal peril, how yeah. exactly it determines that. I was wondering, do we have any ideas for how it could determine that? It, because one of the things she says is that nobody else she knows has the clock, so she can't tell if a clock like this would say that for everybody. I just want to know where she got it. You know, in that case, where how they how they came by the clock that and and, and did it whether or not adding like, say, when Ginny was born, was a new hand just magically added? Does it does this follow the Weasleys around like and every time there's a new Weasley, is there a new hand of the clock or did was there some manual? You know, there's a clock aspect. Did Arthur Weasley have something to do with this because he loves muggle sort of machinery? And did he have anything to do with it? You know, I'm just so, so curious. Yeah. You would think it 
it, it there's a very firm rule with it that it must only stick to your family because if I was Molly, I would want to add other people like Harry and Hermione, yeah, and other people she cares about, and yet she can't. But I think you raise a good question. The very first thing you said, who made the clock? That would help Molly figure out. <laughs> yeah, send him an owl. Why like, hey, saying this Mortal is stuck on Mortal? Or where's the where's the grandfather clock repairman? Repair wizard. Like where's uh, ma'am, do I have to state the obvious? Voldemort <laughs> is back. That's why it says mortal peril. And I mean, ultimately, it kind of ends up being right for at least one of the Weasleys. Yeah, nobody's safe. Yeah. Especially when Molly doesn't do the password. <laughs> so could the clock actually have known that one of them was going to die, but maybe it didn't know which? I think that might be a stretch. I need a clock for Lavender Brown to find out what's going on with her. <laughs> I don't need a clock for you two. I need to see what you Aww. two are up to most of the time. Probably just traveling. <laughs> Mine would say traveling. <laughs> traveling through life. <laughs> Why the need for all the extra security measures, though? Because doesn't Dumbledore say to Harry when they first arrive that the borough has been given every possible protection by the ministry? Yeah, he does say that. So is that why Molly could be rolling her eyes at the the words? I don't... I, I think given how many unknowns there are right now, they don't really know what Voldemort is up to, how many followers he has. It's just, you know, they're living in the moment. They just need to take all precautions, every precaution that they can. There's no such thing as being too safe. Well, the the weak spot is always the people, right? In any perfect system, it is made imperfect by people. Mm. And you can make sure that the wizards going to and from the borough are protected or, or, you know, people are safe when they're at the borough. But ultimately, it comes down to the people who could be imposters. We've seen it before in these books. Um, And that's why the security question, right? So it's like there's protection around the area. There's protection around the house and maybe even the people within but the security question is a you know is not just a formality it really will determine whether or not a bad seed enters the borough yeah agreed okay and then we briefly mentioned arthur's new job he's been promoted to the office for the detection and confiscation of counterfeit defensive spells and protective objects yeah I mean, um, it's so interesting. Like you said when we first started this chapter, the darker perspective on um, what new jobs exist, Andrew, like in this world, the concept that wizards would, uh, what's the word, um, abuse or exploit the general fear level rising when, you know, Voldemort is back and use it to sell Bunko you know, knock off items, products that don't work is kind of a crazy and sick concept. Like it talks about human nature and not the most positive light here, that there's people profiteering off of the misery and shame of others. And now that's Arthur's job is to police that. Right, right. So it it is a very much darker sort of take on the world than existed before but i think it's time for it given you know the experiences of book five with umbridge and and all that like the ministry is changing and arthur is one of those you know whose job is like the lens through which we can see what the government is up to right 
And uh, I just made a joke here that clearly he does a great job on the vanishing cabinet front. <laughs> That's the thing. It was hidden inside Borgen and Burks all along. Why not go straight to the source of where you think there's going to be the most dark stuff and round them up? But I guess that's probably prejudice. Mm-hmm. By the way, maybe I'm just stupid, but his job title is one of the most confusing job titles. When I was reading this the other night, I, I had to reread it like five times to wrap my head around it. Mm. Office for the Detection and Confiscation of Counterfeit Defensive Spells and Protective Objects. There's a lot happening in that title. Yeah. Can they have made it a little more straightforward? That's not even an elevator pitch. That's beyond an elevator <laughs> pitch. You don't have time to explain that, but to, to, write, to, to say that job title in the oh, elevator. Even the acronym would be what? Udkspo? Yeah, I can't do it. Udkspo. Udkspo. I work for Udkspo. Um yeah, yeah, the Bunko Objects Department. That's what I would call it. Mm-hmm. There you go. The other side, though, to all of this, I think there's a bit of tension diffused by the Weasley twins, even though they're not physically present in this chapter. The, the chapter starts out, there's Tonks, she's upset, there's a lot of security in place, a lot of just overall... Um, feelings of indecision and tension. Uh, but when Harry uh, finally turns in for the night, he does sleep in the Weasley twins room. He finds something in the fill- pillowcase. I forget what it is, but I feel like those types of moments just bring uh, a smile to your face as you're reading the chapter, because you're thinking, Oh, Fred and George are doing so great for themselves despite everything that's going on. Yeah. It's much needed relief. And something that stuck out to me here is that Molly is in support of what Fred and George are doing. Remember Harry just last book early or yeah, last book and late Goblet of Fire wanted to keep his funding of their joke shop a secret because Molly and maybe others would have been pissed. And now we see Molly making a turnaround I don't think any of us might have expected. Seeing her sons run a successful joke shop, she's very proud of the things that they've created, even though the hijinks that they create are not necessarily something any parent would want their children to be buying, (laughs) let alone creating and selling. I think she says in this chapter, like, it turns out they have a real knack for business. And I'm just like, it's kind of cool. It's that parent thing where, like, you may not have always seen eye to eye with your kid, but you'll be damned if like they're not creative in some unexpected way that like isn't all bad. Yeah. And I think you could argue that Fred and George might be the most successful members of the family, I- including Arthur Weasley. Well, and Bill. Maybe Charlie's an expert in his field and Bill is probably one of the few men who the goblins don't want to kill on sight. Yes. Uh, but I just mean money-wise. Like, they got to be making a lot of money at that joke shop. Yeah. I've been to the Wizarding World. I see a lot of people in there all the time. <laughs> We're talking about uh, what kind of jobs exist in the Wizarding World sort of outside of the government jobs that we see. And this mm-hmm. would be a perfect example of that, them going into business for themselves. And yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think there's a certain almost stigma that may be associated with taking a a government job and, and, you know, Charlie's studying dragons and 
Bill is off working for Gringotts. So, I mean, the Dragons piece has like a cool feel to it. But by and large, if you look at some of the other professions, Fred and George seem to be in an area that, you know, is interesting and and it makes people laugh right it's mm-hmm. it's a completely different element to what we're experiencing throughout the early part of this chapter and i think it's even showcased more in the movie by when they go to diagon alley and it's really the only bright spot in the entire street everything else is boarded up and destroyed yeah yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. The movie did that really well. I bet they could open up more shops around the world too. Create more jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs. But you're right, Micah. Like the mention of the Weasley twins, they're not even physically present, but the mention of them like brings a smile to your face, like you know, as a reader. Um and even when Hermione gets punched in the eye, which is like really weird and I you know, whatever. Uh it's it's still a remnant of this kind of more whimsical, simple time, and Molly's unable to like remove the the bruise, even though she's you know an expert at healing bruises. Um, just the idea that there's this sort of chaotic force for for positivity in in the Weasley twins is supposed to be, I think, reassuring. There's a lot that's like a little bit tonally off in this chapter, I think, and like. I don't know, Hermione getting punched in the eye, I'm just feeling like, ouch, as a reader, I'm just like, I feel very sorry for her. But it's meant to be... It is rough. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, boom, surprise. You've <laughs> just been pumped, punched in the face, woman. I'm like, wow. I think, though, that you know, traditionally that would be something that Hermione would do. And and what I mean by that is I, she wouldn't be fooled by something that Fred and George put together she probably wouldn't even come close to touching something like that but she's so overwhelmed by the owls that she's not focusing on what she's doing and i think that's why this happens right because she's just not paying attention that's that's good insight um or yeah or could it speak to the craftsmanship of fred and george weasley's work that they can surprise somebody like that (laughs) I mean, really, they well, make good stuff. Molly's impressed. Well, why was she putting it? Te- uh, doesn't Ron say I wouldn't touch that or Harry? One of them tell, tells her straight out, like, it's if it's sitting over there, it's likely not a finished product. I wouldn't touch it. Well, oh. What was she doing with, an, with a telescope anyway, putting it to her eye, squeezing it, and it, she gets punched? I, I mean, I'm not saying it's her fault for getting punched in the eye. Look, that's problematic, too. But it's, uh, you know, anything in Fred and George's room should be off limits. And this is where everyone has decided that they are going to uh, coalesce in in the next morning after after Harry's at the borough. Well, that, let's talk about that for a second, because people just showed up in his room unannounced. <laughs> I, I, that's a little bit of an invasion of privacy, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, sort of. He's in their house and he's, I don't know. They're bringing it, him, like they come in to bring him breakfast or brekfast is on its way. He's 16 and, years old though. Like, and knock before well, entry. I mean, this isn't to be, this isn't the, the beginning of Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie. He's not fooling around under the covers. Well, and they're excited to see him. It The, the burrow has always given off the vibe that it's a open environment. Like, I don't know. It's just a very, it's a, it's a, 
It's a family affair. What does that mean? Molly walking around just wearing an apron? Yeah, yeah, nude, just just an apron. No, I I think I think it's just a very open no, I know. environment that they have. <laughs> you have a point. You have so, a point, Micah. Nobody nobody's saying you don't have a point. But also maybe it's that he slept in cuz he slept pretty late, I guess. Is it just like we have to go find Harry because otherwise he's really going to like ruin. I think that's him. probably the safe answer to give. Yeah. Yeah. But, but okay. you know, like I'm thinking back to being in my house, like in the mornings, somebody might like poke their head in. God, even me, even like a year ago when I was temporarily living, temporarily living at home, my dad would like open the door to like Brooklyn in or out of my room. Did you drive a lock on I it? Don't, Yes, but oh. that's another question I was just going to bring up. Did did Harry's door have a lock on it? I mean, Fred and George, he's in Fred and George's room, and they were always locking themselves in their room on purpose, so nobody could go in because they're, like, experimenting on, you know, I think it was the last book where Harry's the burrow, and you hear all these explosions, and they're just like, yeah, we've gotten used to it. Even now, there's this residual smell of gunpowder, which Molly's unable to, like, purge completely from the room. Um which is delightful. So let's talk about floor. Yeah, let's. She's back. She's beautiful. She's. Um. Well, I won't blame her. the The guys are drawn to her. You know, it's so weird. It's so. Here's the intro line for for floor. I you just got to laugh reading this now because it's even worse than I thought. A young woman was standing in the doorway. A woman of such breathtaking beauty that the room seemed to have become strangely airless. She was tall and willowy, with long blonde hair, and appeared to emanate a faint silvery glow. To complete his vision of perfection, she was carrying a heavily laden breakfast tray. <laughs> I was like, okay, food and sex, Harry's basic two needs. There we go. Well, remember, she's part Vila, so uh-huh. she's she's. This is part of being a Vila. The guys are just, and I guess women, if you are into fellow women, um, you are just drawn to her. So it doesn't really surprise me that Harry is describing her this way. She just emanates beauty, right? Yeah. But it's like this gorgeous woman bursts in with a tray of breakfast and then proceeds to get zero respect from nearly everyone uh, in the yeah. room. Everyone at the borough is tired of her. And, and even the, the title of this chapter, An Excess of Phlegm, it's it's sort of a crude take on this girl who she she the whole reason she's bringing breakfast to Harry is because she wanted to see him because she's so grateful Still, that he saved uh, her sister's life in the Triwizard Tournament when she failed to two years ago. And it's just kind of a uh, she wants to see him. She has every right to see him the same way Ron and Hermione are barging in and they aren't even bringing breakfast. She at least has a reason to be there. And nobody like gives her the space. Ginny is just everybody kind of says something nasty about her Um, either while she's there or as soon as she leaves, and it sits a little uncomfortable with me. Yeah, I can, you know, this happens in the real world, too, where a family member starts dating somebody, and no family member likes this new person. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I read this chapter now and I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of relatable. I'm lucky I haven't really had. Well, actually, my brother's dated some questionable people that none of my family members have liked. But <laughs> it's just it. This is a scenario that comes up in the real world, and I I wouldn't base it solely on her beauty. Like, is that what you're kind of suggesting? Well, it's her accent too. Like, um, I I really feel like J.K. Rowling uses Fleur's accent against her. Yeah. Because she writes it like you're she writes it like it sounds, which that's a literary technique. It's a very good one. Um she does it with Hagrid too. But it kind of makes Fleur if you're reading it, it makes her sa- seem less intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um that she's speaking sort of a broken English. She says, Eat was no trouble. I have been longing to see him. You remember my sister, Gabrielle? You know, it's just kinda like, oh, Bill is very busy at the moment, working very hard, and I work part-time at Gringotts for my English, so he brought me here for a few... You just get tired, right? You're just, like, easily exhausted, the same way that Mrs. Weasley is very vocally exhausted, and I just feel like it's a bad rap. Like, we got an email, or it was a tweet. I, I, I really tried to find it um, and find who sent it, but people are writing in. You know, Floor kind of gets a lot of crap, but let's not forget, she was her school's champion. Like two years ago, the Goblet of Fire, the omniscient Goblet of Fire, um, you know, picked her out yeah. of a sea of boys and girls from Bobatons. And, and now she's been turned into a joke. And now it's a punchline. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. I was also just thinking, especially in this Me Too era, how bad it would be for Vila in the real world. I mean, women already receive enough wanted advances in the muggle world as it is. So imagine being a Vila where, where guys are extra drawn to you. It would be in, in, incredibly horrific. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's sort of a problem. This is maybe one of the treatments uh, of women. Like, it, this didn't age well, I don't think. Um. Yeah, necessarily. I, can I don't. See what you're it, saying. Jake Rowling hasn't done anything wrong. Like your perspective, Andrew, on having like a family that really doesn't like a new member of the family or a potential new member of the family, I think is helpful and kind of excuses a, a, a little bit. Yeah, be, because of how like this is family relations. We do know all these other characters better than we know Floor. Um, to, but right. To to play devil's advocate, I think this is just a situation where uh, a new person has entered the family and nobody can accept them, and that happens. And, and Ginny asks, uh, well, Ginny says, "Mom's going to put a stop to it if she can." Like, that's pretty rough. Yeah, Mo- <laughs> Molly's on a on a on a vendetta, and I, I Molly even says that the reason she doesn't approve is because she thinks it's too soon. But I think there's something underlying there where, like, if she really had taken to Fleur and likes Fleur, it wouldn't be a problem, right? It, it, you know, mm-hmm. Molly would look past sort of the the time. The time in which they knew each other or got to know each other is, like, a clear excuse for an underlying Molly just does not like this woman. Um, but even Ron, who tries to defend her, Ron and Harry both are, like, trying to kind of ebb the, the tide back the other direction. And Ginny says something really bad to Harry and like everyone's kind of just crapping on on Fleur and Ron and Harry are not sort of able to to turn it around a little bit. There's definitely a a bit of 
xenophobia going on, I feel like, uh, particularly yeah. when they're targeting the way that she speaks, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's a little bit of, of fear of somebody from another country, another culture that maybe you don't fully understand. I mean, that to me, that's taking it to a new level. They're not necessarily attacking what she's saying, but how she's saying it. Ginny says, yeah. oh, yeah, it's it's that line. Ginny. But you are right, Andrew. I do think there is a, also a bit of a new person in the family. And it's your traditional kind of guys versus girls, right? The mm-hmm. guys are completely enamored by her because of how she looks. And the girls can't stand her for maybe that exact same reason. We don't know. Right. Yeah, there's a little jealousy. Well, the girl, the girls can't, the girls can't see past. They just can't see past her beauty, and they. The Ginny says to Harry, completely uncalled for. I suppose you like the way Flem says, "Harry, do you?" You know, like, come on, man, get give her, give her a damn shot. And that is xenophobia. And book four, where Fleur was the school champion, is all about not being xenophobic and why that's bad. Yeah. Right. So and we've gone backwards. Think on of all of the different types of people from different backgrounds and, and cultures and even creatures that have been at the borough or will be at the borough have come there over the years. And yet Fleur is the one that's taking the brunt of all of this. You you think that Molly would be happy that Bill found somebody with all the time that he dedicates to working at Gringotts with goblins <laughs> and others. So Yeah. I'm kind of surprised by this. I know it kind of reverses course after, you know, he gets bitten and, and that kind of leads into the whole Tonks and Remus finally formulating a little bit better relationship between the two when they see how that relationship unfolds. But it's just surprising to me that it takes that specifically to make Molly more willing to accept her. I I guess the problem I have is that Fleur seems more like a caricature of a character than an actual character here. We're we don't have really like a one on one with Fleur. She's being reduced to this pejorative phlegm, uh, like a you know this bad name for her. Um, and it's not like the Fleur that we saw in book four. She's not having many successes. She's just kind of getting crapped on by her in laws or future in laws right now Mm -hmm. so that's the problem is we don't really know there's not the other shoe that drops that's like oh actually she's cool the other shoe that drops is oh she's not shallow after all like only one person molly thought that she was oh okay great that's her whole character arc in this book right she's back after a book and change and this is our first time seeing her you would think that the introduction would be a bit different than the reaction that she receives yeah and can i admit to being i think it was eight seventeen, and not knowing this word phlegm produced this way <laughs> yeah no like, i don't think i did either that was really isolating as a as a child reading this i didn't at first get the joke because calling fleur phlegm if since it's spelled differently i didn't understand as a reader that it and there's no moment where it's like very easily uh, what's the word like spelled out phonetically the yeah. way that J.K. Rowling does with Hermione? And- That's xenophobic. The title in and of itself, because yeah. you're saying you're referring to the way that she speaks. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, pretty bizarre now that we're talking about it. This is what being older does when you analyze. <laughs> exactly. That's well, and that's why we're revisiting this, and it's fun to revisit it all these years later. Although I, w- I would say too, like about the comment that this is a boring chapter. I think what it is is that this is the first chapter that doesn't have drastic, imp- you know, implications on like the series as a whole. Every chapter yeah. up to this point has been really important for like series reasons. This is that first chapter that's just like, okay, the things that are happening here are specific to this book and this book alone and like just kind of living in the world. Everything else is yeah. like set up and and stuff for later, but this is just kind of living and breathing. And maybe that's why it's like boring. So let's jump through these next couple of things kind of quick. Um so we mentioned Tonks being sad. She blames herself for Sirius's death. She was fighting Bellatrix and should have finished her off. Um, and Sirius was also Tonks's cousin. So we get some insight into why Tonks may be feeling the way that she is, even though that's not the whole picture. And then per Dumbledore's encouragement, Harry lets Ron and Hermione in on the lessons he's going to be having with Dumbledore and the truth about the prophecy. Yeah. And, uh, Ron and Hermione say we expected it was something like that. Tough, tough conversation for kids to be having. Kind of surreal. And it's it's also clear throughout this conversation that there's something Ron and Hermione want to tell Tar- Terry. Yeah, that's what I'm going to call him now, um, Harry. <laughs> but uh, they never get around to. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to do, keep an eye on. Do we know what that is? I forget what that is. Do we know what that is? I thought it was I don't, prefects, but I could be wrong. No, that was book five, wasn't it? Was it? Are they are they prefects in book five? Yeah, I think they are, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. There's uh-huh. something that Harry can kind of tell that Ron and Hermione want to say to him. At least that's the sense that I got. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read I read your notes, and then I read the chapter, and I was like, yeah, there is something there. So hopefully, we'll find out what it is. The big takeaway about um, him telling them about the prophecy, though, is that he notes he notes that they still stay with him. He notes that they're not running for the hills immediately when he says that he is the chosen one. Um, and it's a kind of a moment for Harry where he's like, huh, I, you know, I guess I am loved. They still like me. Yeah. Right. Doesn't she say something like that, that she figured what? that that was the case? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she did. So the owls arrive and Harry... Everybody kind of gets the results that they expected. Hermione was hoping for absolute perfection, but she did get one E. Um, but she had O's outstanding for everything else. Um, Harry got poor in divination and dreadful in history of magic. Other than that, he did pretty well. <laughs> outstanding in defense against the dark arts. So that was good. Um, But he also comes to the realization that since he got an E in potions, that it won't be enough for him to pursue his new level classes in potions and thus become an auror. Um, There's a line here that I thought was interesting. He says, wouldn't he be living up to the prophecy and giving himself the best chance of survival if he joined those highly trained wizards whose job it was to find and kill Voldemort? I found that interesting because it seems like Harry thinks it's going to take a few years before Voldemort is taken down. Yeah. Like he thinks he's going to get out of Hogwarts, 
He could have become an Auror, and then at some point during his Auror career, take down Voldemort. Now, I know Harry doesn't know that this is a seven-part story and it's going to end <laughs> after the seventh book, but but still, I, I'm kind of surprised that, the, that at this point he thinks it's going to take several, several years, and I wonder if many people in the Wizarding World felt the same way. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, con- it's a convenient out for the writer to put that, like, you know, that Harry expects it's going to take more than just the next summer to, to defeat Voldemort. I, I like it a lot for that mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, it, it, it he seems a bit downtrodden. He definitely wants to become an Auror. There's no question about that. Uh, but it seems like between the end of the last chapter, uh, what is it? Dumbledore says, don't count your owls before they arrive or something <laughs> yeah. to that effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, it was also just interesting to watch Hermione freak out as as the typical nerd would waiting for their exam results because uh, i know i was in that position as well you know if i would take these big exams in new york i don't know if they still have them anymore but we used to take these regents exams which were kind of the culminating exams in in different subjects and obviously they played a big role in uh determining where you would apply to college and things like that so uh i definitely have been in, in that kind of a situation. I don't know if I freaked out as much as Hermione did, but uh, it, it showed a lot of her, her character uh, in this chapter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually a really good Ron line when he goes over to Hermione's paper and reads it. And it's like, Oh yeah, see, there's nothing, nothing to worry about after all. Um, yeah. It's, it's so sweet, but do you guys actually understand how the owls work? So it looks like my theory is, you can get an outstanding or an exceeds expectations that that is a passing grade and that counts as getting an owl or maybe also an acceptable. Yeah, because pass grades are here. Fail grades are here. So if you get a passing grade that is considered getting an owl and then you count up your owls uh, to figure out how many you have, that's completely different than as we find out being able to go into the newt program because certain teachers like Snape are allowed to have certain requirements uh, to like move forward in your teaching. And I guess you'd get more of like a gen ed experience if you weren't specifically going for a certain newt level class, if you didn't have the grades to back it up. But what Molly says is that Ron, who Harry notices quite aptly did not get any outstandings. Um, mm-hmm. still got seven owls, which I assume seven out of the 10 courses at Hogwarts that are listed on this sheet. Harry has the sheet. It's 10 classes. Um, Ron gets seven owls. Molly says that that's more owls than Fred and George combined. Now, Fred and George, we know aren't necessarily like the schooling type, the test taking type, but the idea that each of them would only have three or four passing grades out of 10 subjects is completely impossible. I'm just going to say it Com- completely. Is, yeah. That does seem pretty bad, but maybe they purposely didn't try because maybe they were set on just going their own way on, on being street smart instead of book smart. They thought if, I don't know how long they were thinking about opening up a joke shop, but 
maybe they decided very early on that they weren't going to pursue traditional careers that required great owls or great newts, so they didn't bother to study properly. But, I mean, Fred and George are 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 brilliant wizards, and they clearly know their stuff when it comes to charms, you know, or transfiguration, yeah. or, you know, it just, it's it's... Unless they were constantly absent from class because they were cavorting around the castle, which I think there'd be more of a we would have heard about more discipline for them. There's it just doesn't really add up that the the whole system that J.K. Rowling is doing here with the, the testing. I think they're street smart. They just want to educate themselves their own way. Yeah. I mean, they went through Hogwarts because they had to. Yeah. It's like that, that famous saying that Einstein failed math like. He did. Mm. He was thinking mm. outside the box. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. This week's episode of MuggleCast is also sponsored by a company that I love, Beachbody On Demand. They're an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a ton of super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your living room 24-7. Does Hogwarts have a gym? I don't think they do. If you need one. If you need one. <laughs> Good point. So Beachbody, these are the guys. They're responsible for the workouts you've heard of. P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, Payo, 3 Week Yoga Retreat. They're all on here. The key to Beachbody On Demand, it's like the rumor requirement. It, it's there when you need it. It lets you work out where you want, when you want, thanks to their apps. They're compatible with all your smart devices like your tablet, your phone, your computer, your smart TV. Whichever device you have in arm's reach, you can turn into a gym. And that's what's so great about it. We all lead busy lives, but Beachbody lets you work out on your own schedule. Going to a gym means you got to squeeze in extra time during your day to get there, get back. Uh, You know, if you're going after work, there might be traffic. The gym might be far. It's just impossible to fit in to to make time for it. So instead, after work, you just head home and you stay there and you work out right there. No extra equipment required. And these workouts work. I heard from one of our listeners this week, actually, who's loving Beachbody On Demand for all the reasons I described. It just just fits into your life. Mm -hmm. My personal favorite workout program, and I recommend this as a great starter program, is UV2. It's a great way to get in a quick, fun, and effective dance workout. It's just, you don't even realize you're working out. You're just having fun. My boyfriend, Pat, who was on a couple weeks ago, he's an avid Beachbody On Demand user. He loves the Sean T workouts. He's been doing those recently. He's gotten fantastic results from Beachbody. I really want you to try this. This is the solution you've been looking for to fit in getting fit. Right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text MuggleCast to 303030. Working out is easy, and signing up is clearly so easy as well. Join the over 1 million people currently on Beachbody On Demand by texting MuggleCast to 303030. Do it right now, and you'll get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, all the nutrition information, and support totally free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. Thank you, Beachbody. So, MVP of the week. Yes. I'm going to say the clock. It's so important in this uncertain time. Everybody should have one of these clocks. I don't know why more people don't have these clocks. All of Molly's friends should have them, and she should be able to look at these clocks and know if everybody's in mortal peril. MVP of the week, the clock. And I'm going to give it to uh, Arthur Weasley 
for a very funny moment uh, when he checks the security question or when when Molly checks his and then opens the door to let him in. He holds it shut from the other side and (laughs) refuses to enter because he insists that Molly read him his security question. And I thought it was amazing because Arthur Weasley is sticking to 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 the rules and does not care because his the security of his family is too important. So MVP to Arthur. <laughs> and uh mine go to Fred and George for all the reasons that we previously discussed. They're not physically present in this chapter, but they bring a smile to the reader's face and I think a bit of levity uh to a very tense chapter at times. So mm. they get my vote. Uh, we also asked this question over on Patreon as our question of the week for our patrons to give us their MVPs of this chapter. And uh, I'll just read a couple of them here. Heather Green says, my chapter MVP is the owl that brought Hermione her results. Poor thing had no idea the importance of the letter it carried. Clever. Danielle says Fleur because she is unapologetically herself, even though her future family obviously doesn't like her, which is pretty awful of them, actually. Uh, Nicole Outlaw says definitely Molly Wobbles. Want to stay at my house? Sure. And bring your cat, too. Show up in the middle of the night? No problem. I'll have soup ready when you get here. She's the bomb. (laughs) It's like a hotel there. Yeah. Hotel Weasley. Erica Downing also gives it to Fred and George for having the sickest jobs and a rad apartment. Plus, they owned Hermione without having to even be at the borough. <laughs> Is own a good way to put it? It was kind of mean, but okay. Yeah. Omar gives it to Ginny. I love how much more developed her character has become. Her sarcasm and sassiness in this chapter, it speaks to me. Shame that we mm-hmm. never got to see this side of her in the films. Mm-hmm. And Olivia Cantrell also gives it to Ginny. This was really one of the first chapters I felt like she and Harry might be an actual match for each other. She had way more confidence around her celebrity crush than I've ever had around a regular crush. Aww. And uh, finally, JY says, Harry, for being the most level-headed person about the Fleur situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more from Deisha, who's listening live. She says, Floor is my MVP. She was shit on by the ladies of her future husband and still managed to, re- to remain cheerful and nice. I know somebody else suggested Floor earlier, yeah. but... What if she uh, showed her Vila side, like the the aggressive Vila side with, every, oh. with the way everyone was treating her? But instead, she was nice because she's a good person, unlike all these other meanies she rose above it so let's rename the chapter now all right i'm keeping it simple but i this was a this was an iconic moment that that people just ended up loving for years and years to come harry potter and the half-blood prince chapter five molly wobbles oh a classic jk rowling word that's yeah it's a great jk rowling word that's a good point uh i took a more ominous route Half-Blood Prince, or Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 5, Tick-Tock Death. <laughs> I like it. And Not suitable for children. Mine or, I guess Mal- or Eric's? <laughs> Both of yours. <laughs> uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 5, 
off, Fleur. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we just defended her for like 15 minutes and then come up That's with that our chapter title. For Micah's renaming. <laughs> All right. To wrap up the show today, it's time for some Quizitch. Yeah. So this uh, this question was asked to or on our last chapter episode. And it's I, I mentioned it's a little bit harder. People do like a challenge. Everybody always rises to the challenge when this happens. But um, very specifically, here's the question that as it was asked, the night Harry arrives at the burrow, which characters does he spot who aren't in the film adaptation and which characters does he not interact with that he does in the movie? This is a bit of a trick question from the onset because in the movie, Dumbledore is not with Harry when he arrives at the burrow. Harry, he it like is deposited in the swamp. He's like a couple of feet in water, and so Dumbledore is the first character in the correct answer that is in the book but not in the movie. So that through so you, you, you said last week, there's three and three, right? I, yeah, I did say that there are three characters that are in the book and not in the movie, and then three that are in the movie that are not in the book. You're talking about when he first gets there, though, right? When he's when he is, yeah. And the night of, too, not the next morning. Not the next. Okay, so in in the book, there is no Ginny, Ron, or Hermione. That, yeah, that, who are in – those are the three. Yes, that's correct. Now going to the other side, there's Dumbledore, which you already mentioned, who's yes. not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Tonks, who's not in the movie. Yes. And Arthur, who's not in the movie. Correct. And that's that's. So what answer. do I win? <laughs> I enjoyed hearing Michael work this out. We we shout your name out in the uh, in, on the show. Congratulations to Micah for being the. You can use my Twitter handle if you want. Oh, uh, at MJT Bomb, uh, MJT B A U M on Twitter suggested uh, that uh, that he wins. You know, uh, we have only five winners this week, except six with Micah. But um, Joe T. Count well, Count Ravioli. I think I gave it on a technicality. Uh, Micah can be Count Spaghettios. <laughs> I think Count Ravioli said Mister and Mrs. Weasley in their tweet, uh, which is doesn't count because Molly is in both. But Joe T points out that Hedwig is also in the book at night, so it, Hedwig isn't a person. And I didn't, you know, I said who's you bump into, but Joe gets the correct answer and adds that Hedwig was also in the book and not in the movie. So that's. That's good. Um, but didn't we hear? We might have. Does she screech in the movie? And it's is that an owl? Says Hermione. Or was that in five with Order of the Phoenix? It's. it's uh, yes, it is. You're right. Somebody I, says it. I forget. It's that staircase scene where they're all kind of looking over the banister. Somebody says, "Did I hear an owl?" Yeah, because that's in that's in the book. Or that's in the movie. That's in movie five and movie six. Does a staircase scene, um, and well, it's it's in this chapter. It's in this because Molly shows up. Ginny look when Harry gets here in the movie, and we're gonna watch this movie pretty soon. We'll mention that later. But um, Ginny's downstairs, and she looks up, and Molly. When did Harry get here? And you know, Molly shows up over the banister, and then Ron shows up, and is like, "Did somebody say Harry?" You know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, anyway, the winners uh, who successfully gave us all three characters from the book and then from the movie were muggle zoologists Sean Brady and Amelia with, again, Count Ravioli did say 
uh, the Weasleys, so they get it too, and Joe T. Now, I'm going to give a shout out to the people who were close just because there's so few winners this week. Chelsea, Jazzy, Allie, Lara, Pranvi, and Andrea um, all got really close. So I, I'm I'm actually just going to take responsibility for maybe not being as clear. My, I, my goal uh, was to be vague to make the question harder, but as always, there You're were winners, from and Quizich. as always, you can submit. You don't have to give, like, runners up be it trophies here, Eric. You asked oh, okay, a question. Okay. Yeah, that's the fun. Well, I'm not the a fan answer, of the participation. Right. Myself included. And yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, you so, had what, four or five people that got the answer right? Then those yeah, are the yeah. ones who win for yeah. this week. You said it was a tougher question. Okay. Okay. So so um Eric mentioned Half Blood Prince movie. That we are going to do a commentary for the Half Blood Prince movie because on Patreon a couple of weeks ago. As part of our 7-7 challenge from a few months ago, we asked, what will our next movie commentary be? And Half-Blood Prince was actually the winner, only by a few votes. I can't remember who got in second place, but it was a pretty close... Oh, it would have been Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it was a yeah. pretty close race. So because we completed the 7-7 challenge, 7-7-7 challenge... We will be doing the Half-Blood Prince commentary in the weeks ahead, and that will be available for all, but we'll probably live stream it on Patreon while we're recording it. Um, yeah, so we'll, we're going to be doing that, and then we're going to be doing the holiday commentary later this year in time for the holidays, probably around Thanksgiving time. And then as part of the 777 Challenge, we will also be doing a two-hour live episode with call-ins. We're going to do that around Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, the release of the movie lends itself to a live call-in show, so we'll be doing that, and that'll be a lot of fun. We'll have to plan some fun segments for for that. Um, MuggleCast.com is our website. That's where you can get access to everything you need, including our Twitter, our Facebook, our new chapter-by-chapter -chapter archive, our Wall of Fame, our advertiser deal links. If you heard an ad on the show and you you want to know, oh, what was that promo code that I needed to get a discount? There's an advertiser deals link at the top of the website. And I think that's about it. So we'll be back next week. We have next week's Quizich question. Right. The thing I always forget. <laughs> the thing I bolded, put in red, and raised I was it. looking on the website. I was, I know, I was I not even looking at the doc. <laughs> um, this week's question has to do with Chapter 6, Draco's Detour. And the question is, what classic children's game gets a magical upgrade in Chapter 6? So... There you are. Okay. And submit cool. your... Oh, we do take answers exclusively on Twitter, or if you're a co-host of this show, apparently. You can you can enter <laughs> via last minute. Enter via voice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, speaking of uh, reaching out to us, I would encourage people to email us, MuggleCam, with any questions that you have for Chapter 6 of Half-Blood Prince. Yes. Yes. Use our voicemail line if you'd like, or email like micah said or the contact form on the site there's lots of ways to get in touch with us yeah thank you so much for listening and thanks for your support i'm andrew i'm eric and i'm micah we'll see you next time peace bye